three, two, one. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to System and Soul. Chris White and Benj Miller uh, coming at you today. And uh, today, our, our guest is Nelson Davis out of Atlanta, Georgia. And Nelson is the founding partner and the chief visioneer. So I can't wait to hear about that. Uh, the chief visioneer for Analytic Vision. Nelson, welcome to System and Soul. Thank you so much, Chris. It's my honor to be here and super excited to be with both of you. Uh, been a big fan of the podcast for a while. Uh, and Binge is a bit of a, a superhero to me. So uh, <laughs> excited to, for well, today. I got to tell the story of how right we first met. So uh, a mutual friend of ours sent an introduction. Actually, I think he asked for permission first. He's like, this kid's young and sharp and just got all the drive that you can imagine. And, you know, he's thinking about going out on his own, or maybe he just had, and, you know, he'd love to meet some other people who had done that. And I was like, yeah, it sounds cool. You know, look me up, came by the office. And I can't remember if he brought it with you or send it ahead of time, but Nelson, you know, before even starting this company had, I can't remember if it was one or two pages, but it was a vision doc for his company. And it was unlike anything I had ever seen. And I read it and I couldn't help but going, this kid is so naive. And then I met him and I'm, I was like, this kid is so, so naive, but he's going to pull this off. <laughs> um, so Nelson, I would love for you to give a little backstory and then we'll get into some stuff, which I think will be really helpful just in your space, in your mind for uh, our audience. But give us the origin story like what was in that vision and i'm telling you this is not a normal like it wasn't about the company he was going to build so tell us about that i can't wait to hear it because you know doing my build up doing my prep for the show i mean nelson's got a master's from from georgia tech and engineering so i'm trying to envision what he handed you so i can't wait (laughs) i can't wait to hear this yeah, so the origin story of this organization comes from, uh, you know, I spent about five and a half years at a previous organization leading uh, visual analytics and kind of grew it from about uh, a handful of folks into 20-something. And at the same time, began to get a real heart for servant leadership. And, and I felt like it was an opportunity to begin to lead people who were not yet leaders um, and kind of see what would happen if we gave people, you know, some different ideas and light up with purpose. And um, it was just amazing to see people embrace that. And I was like, man, there's something here that's really special. And so as I'm going through a, a very difficult journey and season of my life, um, you know, my dad was dealing with cancer. He's fine now. Uh, but there was a, a season where, you know, I'm leading all this. I've got some crazy projects. I just had, you know, our, our fourth kid, uh, life is nuts. And I find myself at the cusp of, Hey, I got I, I feel like I'm being called to go start this company, this organization. And so, yes, I was going to be a data analytics organization. And, and I had this heart for servant leadership. I just didn't know how the two things came together. And, uh, my dad at the time had three different forms of cancer. Um, and I was leaving his hospital room the day before I was going to leave the organization I was working for. And I walk out to my car. We're at Emory Midtown. 
and I look out over uh, the connector in, in downtown Atlanta. And the best thing I can describe it is I got this vision uh, and it basically says, Hey, look, you know, I know you're going to go do these two things, but what if the goal of the organization was not to um, hold on to people forever? What if the goal of the organization was actually to bring people in, but only for a time and you would steward them, you would equip them, you would inspire them to go out and into the world and, and be data and technology leaders and, but they're not yours forever. And I kind of said, well, that's a terrible idea, right? That's one of the reasons I know it wasn't my idea. Um, But I thought about it for about 30 more seconds. And I realized, you know, if the goal is impact, if the goal is impact over profit, if the goal is to move the needle in the marketplace on what it looks like to be a leader in the space of data and technology, then this is really the only way to do that. This is the best way we could approach this opportunity. And um, from that moment, I began to kind of, it, it was always going to be called analytic vision, but the, the vision of the organization was very clearly defined in that moment. Um, and I've, I've always kind of felt like, you know, even though I'm the founder, we, I, I have the name kind of chief visioneer. Um, it, I'm an employee of this organization. The, the people that are here, they're all volunteers. Um, they're all incredibly bright. They could all get three job offers tomorrow if uh, they were so compelled to do so. And so we have just this embrace of you know, knowing that this is not ours. Um, and so people are going to be here for a time. We're going to launch them out. The beautiful thing, though, is those will be great leaders uh, in the marketplace. They'll also become great clients. Um, and when you think about brand of what this organization might have five to uh, ten years from now, you know, we'll have these uh, these people that will be out there and, you know, hey, you're such a great leader. Tell me about where that came from. Oh, let me tell you about this organization that I, I worked at uh, at one point. Um, and so we're pumped. You know, we'd love to be thought of at some point in the future as kind of the Wharton school of, of data and analytic leaders. Uh, and yeah. people come in for a time again, they, they're equipped and inspired to go out and to, um, take great care of people. We want to be the second best place, uh, that anybody works at. Many entrepreneurs are overwhelmed, burnt out and frustrated because they aren't able to spend enough time in their highest and best work. They know they need to delegate to an assistant, but they don't want the responsibility of managing one. At Delegate Solutions, we provide leaders with a different approach to admin support without the hassle of committing to an employee. We support our clients remotely in as little as one to two hours per day, all the way through to full time. And our systematic approach includes customized delegation coaching to help you figure out what and how best to delegate coupled with a team of thinkers and doers to continually get those things off your plate. We love to help visionary leaders free up time so they can do more of what they love and have a big impact. Learn more about our delegation support system by visiting info.delegatesolutions.com forward slash traction vote. I was so inspired when I read that because I'm, I, I had the same reaction that apparently you did when you first came to it, which is like, this is a terrible idea. It's really hard to build a sustainable brand, a growing brand, when you're constantly churning out your best talent. Um, but it, it reminded me of kind of the, the infinite game idea. And, you know, if you're really thinking way out there on the horizon, I was like, man, that that is leadership to go, hey, we we want you to come in, learn everything we possibly can teach you and go out. And it may, it creates an urgency to it, right? Like it does. Um, I heard, I heard a story, maybe we've talked about it, but Frank Blake was the previous CEO at Home Depot and 
he comes into his very first board meeting and his number one topic that he was emphatic that they start with and, and work on was his secession plan on day one. And he's like, look, CEOs, Fortune 100 companies, they make it about five years. We got to start working on who's next right now. Um, but the other thing it does, I'll draw another little parallel, um, not to take over, but we were talking to a coach yesterday and we were talking about the idea of graduating our clients. And um, I just told him like, look, we get you know somewhere around one, one and a half years into this process and I put graduation on their opportunities list. And number one, I like forcing the, the conversation. I don't, you know, I don't want them to ever feel awkward that they need to not have me back, blah, blah, blah. I want to make sure I'm always adding value. But here's, here's the cool thing that, that conversation does is it allows us to say, what would need to happen in this organization for you to feel like you're ready to graduate? Right. So now we've, we've surfaced some key things. So for you, you know, to go, man, all right, I've got two more years with this guy. What would he need to be able to go lead, like be a crazy, amazing leader out there in the marketplace. And, you know, it is self-serving as we've talked about it, because hopefully they go into a organization where you become a client and, you know, it's kind of a self-fulfilling mechanism. So super cool. And, and, Man, when when word gets out that you're a place that does that for people, you're going to have a line of talent out there. Well, Ben, one story. When I think about what we are attempting in the long term to do that is compelling to me is, you know, I heard a podcast with the former chief marketing officer of Chick-fil-A, and he was speaking about uh, reflecting on 2018 for Chick-fil-A, and they basically opened about 100 stores that year. And what he shared in the podcast was, in order to find um, every store has to have an operator. And so, mm -hmm. you know, you've got a hundred people who are going to go through the pipeline process and become an operator for Chick-fil-A. And he said, guess how many applications we had to fulfill those 100 spots. Oh, the punchline was 85,000. Wow. And so you begin to think about how does an organization get the opportunity to basically select one person out of 850 in order to, and you think about the quality of human being that you could have if you could basically pick one out of a thousand human beings and they didn't get there overnight. You know, that's a, a 40, 50 oh, year old man. company. It's, but it's the brand and it's, it's how it was built time and time and time again. And now they reap those rewards. And so when I think about, you know, people I've, I've been asked, well, how are you going to find you know, people to come in? Because I know I basically need to hire between 30 and 40 people every year in order to at full bore, because I don't want this thing to grow beyond a place where I wouldn't be able to recognize every face in the door. And, and organizational strategy tells us that that's around 150. Oh so I want to keep it shorter than that. Um, and so in order to do that, I, I know that I need that. I believe that if we do this well, we should have a line at the door of people that want to be here. Um, and again, we're not there, it's far away. But Ben, you mentioned The Infinite Game and it's, it's a book that everybody in this organization reads. Um, we have, we, everybody reads books all the time. Everybody reads seven books a year um, and everybody reads the, the same first four books. And, you know, Seven Habits, The Servant, mm -hmm. Everybody Matters and The Infinite Game. And so it's, it's bringing you into a foundational way that we can 
all have a similar conversation. Hey, remember what habit number two is, you know, remember when we talk about the just cause, you know, it, it gives us that vernacular to say, there's a reason, there's a why behind what we're doing here. Um, and I think it'll be interesting as we get into this conversation for our audience to realize, Hey, a lot of the things that we talk about in, in the space of data and technology actually reach back into how do we invest in our people? What are the processes that we have and so forth so that things can actually come to life um, and, and to create kind of integrity and wholeness um, for the organization. It's not enough to know something. It, it, it has to become actionable. Yeah. Okay. So that's a great, first of all, you're super inspirational still to this day. Um, I wish I was as smart as you, as young as you are. Um, and but that, that's a great transition because when I think about what you do, the best way I understand it is the intersection of where data can inform strategy. And I don't, you can correct me and, and put it in your own words, but I'm really interested because you do this on a level for, you know, I don't even know, Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies, but there's, there's things we can learn from that as stage two, stage three companies. Uh, where we should be thinking a little bit different. So tell us about what you do, how you do it, some examples, maybe some things that we could do today to start benefiting from this kind of thinking. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. It's a passion of ours to make the data that we have come to life and to be learned from. Um, and one of the things that I think is different about our organization and the way that we're going about the approach is there are tons of data and analytic companies that are out there that focus on technology. And technology is very important and you have to have great technology in order to do these things well. Where we begin to see a differentiation between what we're trying to do is a lot of them stop right there and say, hey, if you had this platform, it would solve all your problems. What we know from an organizational perspective is that's not true, right? It's one thing to have an operating system with EOS or with System and Soul. It's another thing to actually implement it and actually put it into action, right? You know, it, here's the prescription, but you better take the medicine. And the way that we bring that to life is we actually talk about comprehensive analytic solutions. So yes, technology, but it's a three-legged stool. The other two legs for us uh, are people. And so when we talk about people, we're talking about if we could give the right person the right information at the right time, what's the behavior that you would want to see? And part of this begins with envisioning ideal behavior of a salesperson, envisioning the ideal behavior of an integrator, envisioning the ideal behavior of an operator or you know, whoever's making the widget or, or whatever it is, right? Decision maker. And then once we've empowered that human being and we've kind of identified, here's what we, how we would hope you would behave with this information, it's then checking to basically say, hey, do you have permission to go pull the lever given the systems and processes of this organization? Do you know who to talk to? Do you know the communication channels? Are you the one who has the authority? You are the one who has the information, but do you have the authority? And there's so many times where we, and it, it may be because we often deal with large organizations. At the same time, I'll also say that we, we love working with founders and CEOs and uh, visionaries because they're, they're used to learning something and taking a risk on the thing that they've learned. They're, they're used mm -hmm. to making an investment. Yep. Um, where we can begin to be impactful, frankly, is typically with organizations that start around $50 million uh, to $75 million annual rev with that founder, visionary, CEO. If they're calling the shots, we can be helpful. Um, and so the opportunity there is when you think about building and learning from data, are you doing the other pieces? Because it's one thing to know something, it's another thing to act on it. 
Um, and the goal here is for us to help organizations identify, hey, it's great that you know this, but do you have the systems? Do you have the, do you have the vision for how to actually bring this to life? And you would be shocked um, how many organizations are not thinking about that. Organizations that are household names, organizations that are, are billions and billions of dollars, and they're still sitting there kind of saying, we don't know how to implement this. We don't know how to communicate this. We don't know how to gather people around it and have vision around it. Um, people don't understand the purpose of it. And, you know, it, again, there's so much we can kind of dig in there, but it, it's, that's, that's the passion that we have for it is, is bringing it to life and making it real. So Nelson, why, why are we behaving that way? Why, why are we not seeing it? Is uh, it it's a great question. Or... It, I think it's disconnection. I think it's one of the things that um, I noticed for a while, even before I started this organization is, and I'll just speak to my own personal experience, but a, a consultant or someone who is kind of hands to keyboard in a technical role sees the thing that's in front of them. They see the tree, right? The vision of this organization and a visionary, you know, I used to, it was, it was absolutely shocking to me when I learned this, but it turns out that there's only like 7% of the population that kind of has, is that visionary role. I thought everybody was like me. And so, um, when I learned that, I was like, oh, I, I begin to understand why, you know, when we talk about some of these larger concepts, it's tough for other people to get it. But they see the tree. What we're trying to get people to see is the forest, right? And so if you can understand the larger picture and, you, you know, we, that was part of why the, the purpose and casting vision and so forth becomes really compelling, um, you need to be able to understand where did that data come from? Where is it going? Who's the decision maker? How does the lever get pulled? When you begin to be able to zoom your lens out and your perspective grows, you begin to understand your purpose even more. And I think that there's just a, there's a deficiency, particularly in the space of data technology, if we're being honest, because it's very, very common that we promote our best coder. And now we've lost our best coder uh, and we've put somebody in the position of leadership who is either ill-equipped to be there or doesn't desire to be there. They just wanted to make more money and that's fine, but we need to uh, ask for more from them. And again, that's part of why we're super compelled to equip and inspire that next generation of data technology leaders, push them back out into the marketplace because the marketplace is craving great leaders in this space. I think in particularly in this space. And so Chris, your question is a great one. The reason that we, we get those disconnects is because we don't see the picture. Right. All we see is that tree. And if I'm good at my tree, it doesn't really matter the thing on either side, but for organizations to function well, you've got to have people that understand the full picture. So Nelson, I, I feel like I get it, but I need some examples. Tell us sure. may, maybe some of the projects that you've worked on and the impact it's created, how you've done it. Yeah, I'll share um, one that was really interesting for us. And it's it's kind of from an organizational scale right in the sweet spot of this, uh, this audience. And so this is a client that is a mining company up in Pennsylvania. And one of the things that um, is true about them is that they're owned by or supported by a, a version of private equity. And the private equity folks said, hey, this metric right here, our ability to calculate a fully loaded cost is extraordinarily important. We have to watch this. We have to be able to monitor it over time. And over the course of time, our expectation is that we're going to reduce this by X percent. Okay, cool. The problem was for the organization that the left hand and the right hand didn't necessarily know what each other were doing. And they also were not capturing all the places where a cost was incurred. And so they knew some things, 
they knew that they didn't know other things. And then there were things that they didn't know that they didn't know. And mm -hmm. so we came in and basically did a one week discovery. We brought in the CEO, the COO, the CFO. Actually, I don't know if they had a CFO at the time, but they, we, but we also brought in the folks that were in the field uh, and not for every meeting, but like we needed to understand how is this actually happening? How are the trucks rolling? Who's doing inventory? How do things come in the shelves, off the shelves, right? We needed to understand the full process of what was happening so that we could then say, well, there's a cost to that and there's a cost to that. And here's how we're going to calculate it. And, you know, oh, we've never calculated that. Well, if you want a true cost, this is what it looks like, right? And so we got to a place where we could give them a fully burdened cost but it was almost no data and analytics. It was almost all process. Mm -hmm. And so it's a big piece for us, again, to kind of come in and say, hey, we know data and analytics. We can help you do all the you know, data science and the visualization and bring the integration of the data together and warehousing. Cool, great. But it's often just as important, if not more so, to understand the process, the way the business mechanics work, so that we can serve our clients with a both and. Um, I think it's... That's the type of stuff that we love to do. Benja, you and I have the other kind of example that I would give here is I'll zoom back up, right? Billions of dollars, this client, right? And we come in and kind of talk about, hey, um, talk to us about where you want this thing to be in three years. Like a 10-year plan with a, a in the space of data technology is meaningless, right? Nobody, we're going to be, we might be in the matrix in 10 years, right? But <laughs> three years from now, you know, things that's just as far away as I could possibly imagine what things could be like. And we begin to say, where do you want to be? What do you want the organization? What are the behaviors of your people at that point? You know, what are the, how are, how is information flowing? Who's making decisions? How does that look? And then you begin to bring that in. Okay. Well, if that's what we want to do in three years, what does it look like one year from now, you know, at the end of this year? And it's like, okay, if that's what it is, then what does it look like 90 days from now? And I'm doing this because I'm an entrepreneur and I know this model they've never thought about serving their people and serving the organization that they're in charge of in this way. And yet what we're doing is casting vision for where does this thing need to go by casting that vision? We're creating the alignment in order for people to hop on board and say, yes, that's compelling. I want to do that. I want to be a part of that. I'm, you know, and getting everybody bought in from a leadership perspective. You know, once you share that vision with the leaderships, um, you know, you, you end up getting funding and backing and support um, for data-driven decisions and so forth. And so, um, you know, those are, those are two really interesting examples to me. And it's, it, both of those are places that we can come in and be uh, of service to our clients. Where do you see, um, just I, I can kind of geek out on uh, business intelligence all the way into how machine learning can now come in and um, build models for us and you know show us how if we pull a lever you know what would happen and some of that really really cool stuff but the, the applications that I've seen it have been so far mostly in, in larger companies do you see that coming you know downstream so to speak to where it's a little more accessible I do. Uh, and for a number of reasons, um, I'll give you a, a quick example. Uh, and I'm a mentor, one of our partners. So, um, if you go back about 10 years ago and you wanted to build a data warehouse, you needed to go buy a bunch of hardware. You need to go hire somebody that was really smart. They needed to buy licenses of whatever data warehouse it was going to be. You then needed to get the data in, do a bunch of integration. You had to optimize it. You had to talk to the business. They needed to submit a ticket, all these types of things. Right. That's months and tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in order to do that. 
now I can do basically the exact same thing with a credit card in five minutes. Uh, I swipe it, uh, I buy a Snowflake instance, and instantaneously I have a fully scalable data warehouse that will optimize itself. Um, I can add as much data as I want to. It'll just continue to grow itself. I don't have to think about how much hardware. It's an easy button. Um, and to the extent that you have other tools and platforms in the same space, you know, there are a number of tools that do um, auto uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning. It's basically like, hey, here's the thing that I want to measure or predict. Here's my data set. Here's you know, the, the data set of all my historicals. And here are the things I have questions about now. Button right? Click. And it will give you a pretty good, you know, could it be better potentially, right? But it will give you a pretty good, here's my prediction, right? You know, hey, before I, if I wanted to visualize data again, go back 10 plus years, you had to go like understand JavaScript and, and understand all these like, you know, D3 libraries or, or D3 wasn't there, but it, you, it was really hard, right? You then comes along Tableau and comes along other tools and products in the space. And it's like, connect your data, here you go, like drag and drop, hope for the best, right? So you, these, these tools and what's happening in the space of data and technology, what I see are things that I just kind of call easy buttons. And whoever gets to the best easy button first in this space right now is winning. Um, and they're taking things that have historically been very hard, things that you had to go get PhDs or you needed years of experience in learning how to code these things. Yeah. Those things are now disappearing. You have kind of the ability to build apps without you know, kind of low code, no code apps. You have the right. ability to do data transformation, low code, no code data transformation, right? Yeah. So where we see, where you used to have to go hire very specialized people that, and pay a very high dollar, you now have easy buttons. And as those easy buttons are there, the ubiquity with which you can implement those things in uh, smaller and smaller organizations is absolutely there. Yeah. Um, and I think data is also becoming so much more important. Um, 2020 totally revealed that. You know, 2020 was a, a paradigm resetter. Uh, all the organizations that felt like, oh, I know this industry. I've been here for 20 years. I know how things work, da, da, da. Then 2020 comes along and you realize, oh, I don't know anything. Um, <laughs> and in order to make the next right decision, I need to know stuff. And yeah. in order to know stuff, because everything's now changed, I better have the data. And at the same time, everybody got used to looking at charts and graphs and everybody began to understand what is a seven day moving average, right? Because we're mm -hmm. all looking at these COVID things. And so some of these like, you know, kind of uh, intermediate level analytical um, KPIs and metrics just became part of the conversation, part of the vernacular of a very broad population. And so it's like, well, the CDC's got that. Why don't we have that for our revenue? Why don't we have that for our cash flow? You know, I saw a chart. It's like, I wish I had that. And yeah. so we've seen an explosion in the demand over the last probably three, four months. Um, and it's awesome because people are, are using data to make better decisions. One of the one of the groups of people that I see kind of ahead on this wave is private equity. And when they come in and do an evaluation, you know, they're not coming in with their bookkeepers anymore for, you know, forensic analysis right. of the P&L. They're sending in their, their guys that do what you do. And they're building these, you know, charts and graphs and it's historical and predictive. And, you know, I saw this, a friend of mine was putting his company on the market. And so the investment banker brought somebody in and uh, they use Tableau like you do. And it was amazing. I was literally blown away, not just what they did, but 
so, like I, I wish I could remember the example, but there were a couple things they were measuring, and I was literally like, I would have never thought to measure that, but it's brilliant. Like how much insight, actionable insight, could you get if you actually knew that? And the the applications to some of my businesses were like jumping off the page. It was super cool. I remember the first time I saw Domo, like a little demo of Domo, and I I put it in this box of like a dashboard tool. I'm like, why would anybody pay that much money for Domo? And now you see how it can like integrate 75,000 different data sources, merge them together and give you these analytics. I'm like, oh, now I get it. It's, it's not just a dashboard tool. It's the engine that gives you the things that you need to know. You're in a super cool space. Is there anything, you know, let's say that we're not even novices. Let's say we're a little bit like you're speaking another language to us right now. Where, where do we start? Where are a couple things that we can do to start moving toward being more data-driven in our decisions? So when we think about the concept you're getting at here, Benj, is, is what we call analytic maturity. And you know, the first step of analytic maturity is what we call descriptive analytics. It's basically what's the news? You know, like, you know, what was revenue last week? Um, how many people do we have in our recruiting pipeline? How many widgets do we make? Uh, is that better or worse, right? You know, one of my favorite things is like when you see a number and it's like, oh, here's the number, but it has no context to it. It's like that number is totally meaningless. And so you always want to be thinking about how am I measuring good, bad, whatever. And, you know, um, with scorecards and metrics and so forth, it is designed to be kind of a, a pulse on the business, right? And so one of the things that we we definitely preach in our organization is to focus more on the leading metrics as opposed to the lagging metrics. Lagging metrics are things like dollars. Um, everybody needs to know what the dollars are, but their their dollars are are outcomes. Um, you want to think about in your organization how do you engender. Uh, growing the dollars over the course of time, right? And that can be through, again, I go back to the behaviors of your people. Uh, if you imagine what is the ideal behavior of a salesperson, you know, how would you want them to make decisions? How would you want them to think about their leads and so forth? What's, you know, how would you want them to present themselves to a potential client? Start there and think about then how could you create a, a metric? You know, one of the things that I heard the other day that I thought was brilliant and beautiful, these things don't have to be, things that you use a device or something like that. It could literally just be, Hey, I want to put this idea in your head um, more than I want you to measure it. But there's a story of uh, some folks in the Chick-fil-A drive-through and their metric, they decided uh, during the holiday season, we want to see how many times we can get people to smile and say, Merry Christmas back to us. Right. That was our mm -hmm. metric for the day. Right. And, and what they're doing there is they're, they're thinking about behavior and they're thinking about the feeling of the customer that is in front of them in that moment and how they can, you know, and what we all know is that that makes the brand very sticky, right? I, I felt this when I was there, right? And so, again, if you're in it for the right reasons and you're playing the long game, these things become incredibly important. You know, one of the other things that we talk a lot about in this organization is before deciding what to measure, we must begin by deciding what we want to improve. And so right. improvement of the organization should always be the ultimate success of anything that you choose to measure. And, and one of the things I would, uh, again, um, start with is stories, right? Hey, remember that time that we did that thing? That was amazing. That We really took off because of how that worked or how that helped us improve or the awareness that we had. or what it, Start with just sitting around the campfire of, hey, what, what's made us successful in the past? And then kind of take that to the next one and say, how could we measure 
the thing that started that, right? How could we incentivize somebody to be creative? How could we, you know, I, I was just reading another book, uh, Find Your Yellow Tux uh, by a guy named Jesse Cole, who is the founder and owner of the Savannah Bananas and Fans First Entertainment. And he talked about having an idea box. And it's like, you know, some of our best ideas came from random people and they were left field and terrible when we started with them, right? But they've turned into, you know, great ways for us to create brand stickiness and great revenue opportunities and so forth. And so, you know, I'm thinking a lot about, you know, how do I create an idea box? And, and I'll pay you 20 bucks for any random idea. If we implement it, I'll pay you a hundred bucks, right? Okay, cool, right? Now I've created a small incentive that makes it worth your time, your, the five minutes it's gonna take you to write me an email and say, hey, I have an idea. Hey, cool, great, right? And so it's little stuff like that. It doesn't have to be, you know, we gotta solve this, the supply chain procurement issues. It can be, but solving the supply chain procurement issues, by the way, is probably in somebody's mind, they probably already know how to do it. You just haven't asked for it yet. And so mm. it goes back to what are the ideal behaviors? When we think about, we always start with people. We're a people first organization and our solutions always start with people. You know, of those three components, technology, uh, process and people, the technology is last for us. We start with the people, the stories, the success of what does this person need in order to be successful? Because if we've hired the right people, the right people desire for the organization to improve. Right. And so we then, once we know those behaviors, we then think about, okay, what's the process? What's the lever that we need to empower them with? And then once we know those levers and those processes, we then think about, okay, what's the technology that would deliver that information at just the right moment, just the right way in a consumable, understandable way. Um, and again, this is kind of why we get fired up, but a lot of people do it in the exact opposite order and they never even get to the why, which is that behavioral piece. They just kind of say, you know, you need this database, you need this visualization tool, you need this platform. And it's like, it's, it's, it's an answer, but it's not the most helpful answer. I don't think anybody will uh, ever think that you're in jeopardy of not getting fired up. And I love the Merry Christmas example because, uh, nothing you know you embodied system and soul so well you're tying metrics to emotion you're tying process to behaviors and that is so core to who we are and what we're about uh you know if you're out there listening and you're a little bit either daunted or excited by nelson um super approachable dude give him a call we'll put his info in the show notes let's blow him up um and uh help him's crazy vision come true we'll see you next week for more system and soul